So with those uh, words as our prayer, we turn to uh, John chapter 20. Uh, John chapter 20. We're going to uh, read together uh, verses 19 through 23. It's found on page 1686. Over these weeks uh, after Easter, we're looking at uh, uh, four appearances that Jesus makes uh, to various people. And today it's his appearance to his disciples. John 20, beginning at verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. I am claustrophobic. Really, I don't panic in elevators, but the thought of being trapped in a tight space like a cave gives me the willies. Our family visited a Russian submarine exhibit once in uh, British Columbia. I was fine in the engine room, but when we went into the cruise quarters, I had to get out of there. The overwhelming fear and panic just gripped me. When my doctor ordered an MRI for my back a year or so ago, I told him I was claustrophobic. He prescribed some meds, sent me to an open MRI. It was not nearly open enough. The technician had me lay down and started sending me into the machine. I said, stop, and I panicked. Fear overwhelmed me. Well, the Gospel of John brings us into a place of fear. Jesus appears to his disciples locked away in a room. They're filled with fear. The Christian faith, the faith that we profess, begins in fear. We know fear. We know the kind of fear that can lock us in. John says the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Perhaps they were afraid of retaliation. Maybe those who brought death to Jesus would put them on the next hit list. Even though Jesus' tomb has burst open, the disciples huddle in fear. That's the way fear is. It isn't rational. We know that kind of fear. There's more than enough fear to go around in our world. The news fans our fears with stories of plane crashes or planes bursting into flames on runways. Our living rooms get invaded by stories of revolution or terrorism, mass shootings and violence, half a world away or right next door. Warnings of measles outbreaks, environmental disasters, illegal immigrants flooding our borders fills our news channels. So we bar the doors, we lock the locks. Some of us have multiple deadbolts and door chains and security doors. The disciples in the upper room have nothing on us. We lock ourselves in. Even the church does. 
Not just our nightly ritual of checking each door to make sure it's secure. We also lock ourselves in from the world. We try to protect our kids from worldly influences. Our fears grow as the church continues to lose influence in society. We hunker down hoping the sins of our culture will stay far away from us. But maybe there's even greater fear going on with the disciples. Craig Barnes suggests that maybe they have a deeper fear. Perhaps the disciples had greater worries than being killed by those who killed Jesus. After all, just prior to this incident, Peter and John had left this room to see if the tomb was empty. They had gone to check out the truth of Mary's announcement. Now Barnes says, the fear went deeper. Maybe they didn't want to deal with the scorn of those who knew they had failed. They had even failed at protecting Jesus. In spite of all their earlier bravado, they were afraid of the cross and ashamed. Maybe the disciples were locked up in this room for fear of being revealed for the failures they were. All those who left Jesus' side on that inglorious Friday were gathered in this room. They had fled. These friends of Jesus left His side at His hour of greatest need. They locked themselves in this room, ashamed for having abandoned him. And now, knowing he was alive, perhaps afraid of meeting him, what would he say? Would he bring blame? Would he shame them for their lack of courage in the face of the cross? The disciples were together with the doors locked. Maybe we're more like the disciples than we care to admit. We keep our hearts and lives locked up, hiding behind some religious facade. We know the truth about ourselves, so we manage a stage face and keep hidden our backstage life. Behind the curtain of our lives, we hide shame, guilt, failure. We posture and Pretend to be someone or something we're not. Because what if it were revealed? What if it were revealed that we are a hopeless bunch who find it difficult to trust God's future? Maybe we too are afraid. Maybe like these disciples, we're afraid to meet Jesus. Afraid to be found out for our mistakes, our doubts, our worries. Afraid for what Jesus might say to us. So we hide. We hide in fear. Locked up in fear. Yeah, we know fear. We live it. Well, Jesus doesn't let us live in fear. Fresh from the tomb of death, He has a word for us. He unlocks the door and he says, go. Jesus enters our fear-filled stronghold, throws open the door and says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. He sends us out into the world. Go. God so loved the world, he sent his only son. The Holy Trinity didn't remain in some kind of a holy huddle. Jesus was thrust into the womb of our world. God sent Jesus right into the cradle of all of our fears. Jesus now sends the church. 
He doesn't join the huddle of fear behind barred doors. Jesus doesn't join the disciples to reminisce about the good old days. Go! Jesus sends them out into the middle of the world. He issues this one order. Go out into the chaos of this culture. Go! Jesus doesn't take some kind of an opinion poll to see if the disciples would like to bear witness. There's only one mission. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. We can't play it safe. Jesus leaves us very little room to maneuver. Maybe we say, when our church has its act together, we'll be ready. And Jesus says, go. We say, well, I'm not quite sure what I would say. Can't I take a few evangelism courses? Jesus says, go. We say, I'm not quite sure what to do. I don't want to make some kind of a scene by marching for justice or standing, take a stand for what's right. Jesus says, go as the Father has sent me. I'm sending you. There's just no playing it safe. God didn't play it safe with Jesus. Baptized him and sent him into the desert. Sent him into the world. Sent him to the cross. And it's no different with us. We're baptized to bear the cross of Jesus. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. This resurrected Jesus commands his fearful disciples, hiding behind locked doors, to be his witnesses. Easter changes everything. See, our world sees Easter as some kind of a comforting story. Except nobody in the gospel ever said that Easter means spring's coming and flowers are blooming and everything's going to work out. There was real fear. In fact, there seems to be more fear after the resurrection than before. And nobody gives this message in the gospel. Jesus is raised. Now you don't have to worry about dying anymore. See, Easter isn't a story told to inspire us to safety. The Gospel of John is clear. Disciples are being sent back into the world, a world of hostility. Jesus is sending them out to tell the authorities, Hello, the cross failed. He sends them out, not because things have become safer. No, the world is much more dangerous because of His resurrection. Jesus gives us a clue about the kind of future we can expect. When He meets His disciple, He shows them His hands and His feet. He shows them His battle scars. There's no playing it safe. As the Father sent Him, Jesus sends us. And we just might be crucified. We certainly will have to die to ourselves. Friends might think we're crazy. Neighbors might consider us nuts for living like Jesus. The world might even crucify us. But that's the deal. If we're true to the mission from Jesus, then like Jesus, whenever we gather, we'll show each other our battle scars. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you, says Jesus. The church is not meant to be a hiding place. Jesus arms us with a cross and he sends us out. So here we are in the world. So what do we say? One word. Forgiven.
It's our message for our fearful world, for our fearful selves. Forgiven. It's the word Christ gave His followers. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. Jesus supplies us with a message to absolve the world. Forgiven. Because if we don't, who will? Through us, the world will receive forgiveness of sins. I know, I know, only God can forgive sins. You're right. Only God can. And God chooses to forgive sins through us. We have the same message for the world that we received from Jesus. When He hung on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Jesus died on the cross for our forgiveness. And that's the message we have for the world. The same message we received from Jesus. Father, forgive them. I mean, think of it. Consider just in your own life all the places where you've fallen short. Consider all the times that you've blown it. Wherever we fail, Jesus offers us forgiveness. Remember the time you were in the middle of yelling at your kids and you realized you were just like your father? You're forgiven. You recall the bitter attitude you had for someone who crossed you and you retaliated because they picked on you? You're forgiven. Or think about the time that you showed a racist attitude, told a demeaning Hispanic joke, or disparaged the poor with your talk about entitlements. Forgiven. In Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And our forgiveness allows us to forgive. Where we've been arrogant, Jesus invites us to forgive the arrogant. Where you've been hurt, Jesus invites you to forgive those who hurt you. Where you have experienced God's forgiveness for your blunders, Jesus equips you with a word for any person who blunders into your presence. Forgiven. We forgive the same sin in others that we see in ourselves. God offers us His incredible love. We see it on the cross. God's love is shown in this. Jesus died for you and for me. He died for my pride. He died for those times I intimidate others. Jesus took all my blunders and nailed them to the cross. And now, Jesus invites us to bear the burdens of others to that same cross. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. We bring the message we've received. We bring forgiveness to those who have done the unforgivable to us. When Philomena Lee was 70 years old, a journalist discovered her story. Born and raised in Ireland, 50 years earlier, Philomena had a child outside of marriage. Her son had sent her, her father had sent her to an abbey where she had a baby, Anthony. And when her son was three years old, the nuns gave him up for adoption to an American couple in exchange for a generous donation. Philomena never told anyone what had happened. I mean, that was life as she thought of it in the Catholic Church. But she never stopped thinking about her son. And most of her life, she searched for him. 
When a journalist hears Philomena's story, he helps her search, and together they discover that her son had been a successful lawyer in the United States, but that he had died ten years earlier. In fact, Philomena discovers that her son had been searching for her, but that the nuns at the Abbey had told Philomena's son that her mother wasn't interested in him. They cruelly kept mother from son, son from mother. Now, Philomena is a devout Catholic. The journalist happened to be an ex-Catholic. She respected the church. He hated the abbey, the nuns, all of the hypocrisy they stood for. And so the journalist wants Philomena to condemn the sisters for this atrocity, this atrocity of of sending her son away and not informing him about Philomena and her interest. But Philomena has only one word for the sisters. She goes to the head of the abbey and says, I forgive you. I forgive you. We are the channels of God's message to the world. God's message flows through us to others. Maybe one day we'll show each other the scars we received, but until that day, we have one word for everyone. For murderers, drug addicts, embezzlers, homosexuals, adulterers, abusers, power brokers, even for nuns and pastors, for parents and children and spouses. Here's the word. Forgiven. You are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, we offer the world forgiveness. It's God's new order. It doesn't come from us. None of us is up to the task. None of us, none of us can do this job except by Christ's Spirit. Peace be with you, says Jesus. Receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus breathes Holy Spirit to empower us for peace, to be a people of peace. All of us anxious, fearful, broken people, Jesus blows our fears away with his peace. Now this is not just peace of mind or some kind of a ceasefire between enemies, not even a ceasefire with God. No, peace is shalom. Peace, says Neil Plantinga, is the place where God, humans, and creation are webbed together in justice and delight and fulfillment. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness and delight. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed, all under the arch of God's love. Shalom, in other words, is the way things are supposed to be. Yeah, we still bear our flaws. We fear, we struggle, we fail, we carry around all our weaknesses. But with Christ's peace, we're the sign of a new creation. The Holy Spirit of Jesus fills up our lives like a, a, a air fills a lifeless balloon and then releases us into the world. Jesus breathed spirit, not so the disciples could remain behind locked doors in fear. No, his breath of life moved them out into the world. 
Peace be with you. Receive the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit of Jesus breathes His shalom on a broken world. In his first chronicle of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis gives us a picture of this. Aslan had returned from the dead. And he comes across the Garden of Stone statues at the White Witch's Ice Palace. And Aslan goes up to each creature turned to stone by the White Witch. And he breathes on them to bring them back to life. Here's how Lewis describes it. I expect you've seen someone put a lighted match to a bit of newspaper which is propped up in a grate against an unlit fire. And for a second, nothing seems to have happened. And then you notice a tiny streak of flame creeping along the edge of the newspaper. It was like that now. For a second, after Aslan had breathed upon him, the stone lion looked just the same. And then a tiny streak of gold began to run along the white marble back. And then it spread. And then the color seemed to lick all over him as the flame licks all over a bit of paper. And then while his hindquarters were still obviously stone, the lion shook his mane and all the heavy stony folds rippled into living hair. And then he opened a great red mouth, warm and living, and gave a prodigious yawn. And now his hind legs had come to life. And he lifted one of them and scratched himself. And then having caught sight of Aslan, he went bounding after him and frisking around him, whimpering with delight and jumping up to lick his face. Jesus says, peace be with you. Receive the Holy Spirit. It's as if he says, come join God's new order. That's our life. Revived by the Holy Spirit, living in this peace of Christ, we bound after Him seeking to follow Jesus. So we don't keep it to ourselves. In the name of peace, in the name of wholeness, in the name of God's new creation, we bring God's message. Jesus unleashes this message of hope on the world through His disciples. A message of hope. You can be reconciled to God. I mean, maybe your life has taken more twists and turns than a pretzel. It's okay. God loves you and forgives you. It's a message of hope that we can be reconciled to others. That we can discover that community where men and women respect each other and races work and live side by side. That the pains of divorce or illness or tragedy are all overcome by God's peace, God's shalom. You can even be reconciled to yourself. You don't have to give up. You can recognize that God loves you, forgives you, and you can discover a new relationship in Jesus Christ. Jesus breathes Holy Spirit on His on his followers, like God breathed Holy Spirit at the creation of the world. And so Jesus brings about this new creation. Come, join God's new order. Despite our flaws and failures, God's love abounds in a community of flourishing wholeness and delight. Jesus breathes on us that kind of peace. Many of us are afraid. And sometimes we think that if uh, we huddle together in fear, we'll be all right. 
put on a mask, pretend. That's not the way of Jesus. He blows His Spirit upon us, Spirit to make us a new community, throws open the door and says, go. Tosses us out. Armed with only one word. Forgiven. You are forgiven. Jesus sends us out of here a flawed community struggling to live in His peace. Come. Join God's new order. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for uh, your Holy Spirit. That you have breathed on us new life in your Spirit. Not a life that's meant to be locked away and kept to ourselves. Not a life to be covered over with some kind of religious pretension, but instead you give us this new life so that we can go. Broken as we are, flawed as we are, inept as we are, unable as we are, we go in your spirit. We go to be your people to be your new creation in this place. Lord Jesus Christ, send your spirit again into our lives. Amen.